for the rest of the hour, we're going to turn our attention to the skies because August is shaping up to be a great month for stargazing, planet gazing, meteor gazing. There's going to be a meteor shower, a blue moon. Saturn is in opposition, all kinds of cool stuff. And who better to tell us all about that than a sci-fi stalwart, Dean Regis, astronomer, author, podcaster in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome back, Dean. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Looks like a really busy month here. Huge month. I mean, we're going to start off with a meteor shower this weekend called the Perseids. And this is, to me, one of the best ones of the year because it starts a little earlier in the evening than some of the other ones. And it's in August, which is way better than being up late at night in November and December for those other meteor showers. So the Perseids is going to be really great. Okay, so for people who have never done this, how do you become a meteor shower observer? Well, so the first thing I always tell people is to lower your expectations. Do not expect a laser Floyd light show or something up <laughs> in the sky. Uh, meteors are notoriously fickle, so you can't exactly predict how many will go from time to time. But to give you the best chances of seeing the most number of shooting stars, get away from the city lights as much as possible. Um, get out to the country if you can. And the peak time is going to be the nights of the 12th and the 13th and the 14th. Uh, those are the peak nights. You don't have to be on any, you know, you can pick any of those and be about right. the same. Uh, and then you have to watch really late at night. So the real peak is usually 2 to 5 a.m., but you can catch some earlier ones at 10 p.m. to midnight, that kind of thing. Um, so just face uh, face northeast early on, get a lawn chair, get a drink, kick back, relax. You don't need a telescope or anything and just no. see how many shooting stars you can see. So that's actually this weekend coming up. Exactly, exactly. And so uh, the moon is also going to be out of the way. So moonlight can affect your uh, the number of stars you, or number of shooting stars you see. So with the moon kind of near its new phase, you won't have that in the way. So it makes it an wow. ideal time. Really? Okay. Tell us what is a, why do you have a meteor shower? Well, so meteor showers like this one, the Perseids are all caused by comets. So a comet goes by, leaves its tail behind the, the cometary debris. And so uh, then the earth will swing around the sun and run into that, those remnants of these comets. And we can predict, you know, about every year this happens. And so the comet uh, in question for this one is called Swift-Tuttle. And uh, so you're seeing these cometary pieces burning up in the atmosphere. And these are really light particles. So they're pretty much like ices and dusts and, you know, size of the grain of sand. But they heat up so fast that they make these shooting stars. And then you go, ooh, and ah, and that kind of thing. And that's where it comes from. Hmm. And there, th th this happens periodically with a lot of... Right. there, We have lots of meteor showers, but this is a good one, you're saying. Yeah. So the other ones that are pretty solid uh, performers are the uh, the Leonids, which is in November, the Orionids, which are in October. And the Orionids are kind of fun because they're remnants of Halley's Comet. And then uh, in uh, December, right around December 13th or so, then you have ones called the Geminids. So those are the four main really good ones. So Perseids, though, uh, this year has a little edge because the moon's out of the way. So that makes the Perseids a little extra nice. You know, you, you say to take out a long chair. I remember when I was a kid, I would just lie in the back of the, the hood of my car. That's the best way to do it because <laughs> you want to take in as much sky as you possibly can. And, uh, I, you know, well, with my car, you know, it gets the hood pretty hot. So if you're up late at night, it keeps you warm, too. Uh, that's a great way to do it, but you don't need binoculars. You don't need a telescope. You want to see as much of the sky as possible, and that's how you can see the most uh, meteors. 
Yeah, and I think that that kind of turns people off. They think, well, I don't have a binoculars or a telescope, so I can't see it, but you don't need it. Oh, absolutely not. And that that's what's so amazing about these uh, meteor showers is, that, you know, it's open to everybody. And you might see some strays, you know, even the week after, the week before these the peaks. So you don't have to be there right at that right. night, but it does help a little bit. So, but uh, the, there's a big thing that I always read about is the estimates of how many meteors you're going to see. And always, whenever you read them, whatever it is, you know, divide by five, it's going to be a lot less than they predict. So I would say a good meteor shower is where you can see about one shooting star every five minutes or so. So maybe 12 an hour, 20 an hour is really good. But then if you get to some magical moments where you see a whole bunch, then you'll really remember that. You know, I recall seeing them coming out of the corner of your eye sometimes, right? They're not in your center point, focal point. Yeah, yeah, this is so the this uh, this meteor shower is called the Perseids because it's named after the constellation Perseus, which is where the meteors seem to radiate from. And uh, so but they can come from any direction. Just most of them will come in that direction of where Perseus is in the sky. But uh, yeah, so that's why you want to take in as much of the sky as possible. I recommend kind of facing pointing your chair to the northeast early right. on in the night and then more towards the south later on in the night. You know what what I've been watching? I saw this the other night and I said, is this, what is this? You know, there are all these new satellites up there, right? There are thousands of new satellites and you can see them crossing the sky. And you say, could that be a satellite? And, And it is, right? Oh, there are so many satellites up there. I mean, the International Space Station is the most uh, famous one because it is so incredibly bright. Uh, And so anytime you're doing your stargazing, chances are you're going to happen upon one that's just slowly going across the sky. And so for anybody doing some uh, satellite watching, you just look for a slow moving, non-blinking light. So they won't blink and twinkle. uh, And it takes about six minutes from for to go from one horizon to the other. Uh, And then you add on the new uh, communication satellites, the Starlink satellites, which uh, are coming in like UFO reports. I mean, you see these trains (laughs) of lights in the sky and you think like World War III is happening. Right. Um, So for everybody out there, if you see a train of satellites, a train of lights, uh, that's that's probably the Starlink satellites. That is is cool. Okay, let's move on to another event happening this month, a a super blue moon, once in a blue moon. What's the significance here? Wow, we got a few things lining up here. Uh, And for astronomers, these, (laughs) I got to be honest, Ira, for astronomers, these are two (laughs) non-events, but (laughs) the public loves it. And I have come around to loving these too. So supermoon is when the moon is slightly closer to the earth than average. And so the moon will look a little bit bigger uh, because it's actually is, it looks a little bigger Mm -hmm. because it's a lot closer. And so at first I thought, you know, the supermoon thing is kind of silly. Can people really tell the difference? And you can, uh, you know, when during a supermoon, the moon is uh, about 30% brighter than when it's farther away from us. So what I like to call puny moon, Um, but the supermoon, it is pretty cool. And um, and so uh, people like to go out and watch this. And I think I've really come around because I've seen people just make it a night where they go sit on the lawn somewhere and watch a moonrise together with the whole family and friends. And uh, it's a really cool time to watch this because I don't think a lot of people take the time to watch a moonrise. So I'm all in for it. And this one just happens to be a blue moon as well, which is kind of a more made up term. Also, this is when you have two full moons in one month. So we had a full moon on the 1st of August, and then this one will be August 30th, 31st. 
that'll make it a blue moon doesn't actually turn blue but mm. it does help with the publicity for it i'd say yeah and and it's a rare event right it's like once in a blue moon that's right you can you can only have a two full moons in a month very rarely because uh, the moon phase cycles about 29 and a half days so you get a full moon on august 1st that's pretty rare and then uh, back again at the end of the month um, but yeah it doesn't turn an actual color and it will look pretty similar but at least this month it'll be super too Wow, there you go. Two two for the price of one. Let's move on to one of my favorite subjects and my favorite times. And that is when Saturn is so well positioned, you can see it. It's terrific to try to look at it. And that's now. Yeah, we're coming up to what's called uh, uh, Saturn's opposition. That's when it's on the opposite side of the sky from the sun. And that means it's the closest to the earth for the year. And it rises right after the sun goes down. So you get to see it right in prime time. And Saturn is the faintest of the, the naked eye planets, but you can see this without a telescope. And it just looks like an ordinary yellowish star that doesn't really twinkle very much. And, but then when you aim a telescope at it, even a small backyard telescope, you get, you're just, your eyes are just, oh, it's like you're, you can't believe what you're seeing. You see this little tiny thing with a ring around it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this one. It is amazing to see a Saturn with a telescope. Even you know, it just looks teeny tiny. It looks like a cartoon that somebody drew, and uh, it, it, it's it's one of those things that we I totally uh, want everybody to go make it a point this fall to go out there and see Saturn in a scope. So peak time is pretty much starting at the end of the month of August, all the way through the end of the year, and so Saturn season is kicking off. I'm excited. Mm, me too, because there, as you say, it's indescribable. Right. Oh, yes. You can see it on TV or whatever, but until you see it in that in that eyepiece, you go, whoa. Yeah. I mean, people people swear that we put a sticker on the end of the telescope. <laughs> Is that perfect? Uh, it, it, I, I call it breathtakingly beautiful because you, you gasp when you look at it because it just doesn't look uh, real. And I try to picture myself as the early astronomers in the 1600s seeing this thing. And it just had to blow their minds. And uh, the fact that it's going to be going into the winter or toward the fall where the air may be crisper and clearer, that's that's good. That's good for viewing, right? Yeah. The last few years, it's been really low in the southern sky and mostly in the summer. So every year it kind of pushes back the, 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 the time frame a little bit. Uh, so it's heading into being more visible in the fall sky, which also puts it farther north for us uh, northern hemisphere viewers and makes it a little bit easier to find. Uh, but then we've got Jupiter joining it a little later on in the year, uh, late September, early October. Jupiter will join the dance. And uh, the two of them, Saturn and Jupiter together, are by far the two best planets to see in a telescope. Yeah, if you want to see the moons of Jupiter, just like Galileo saw them, it's very easy to do that if you have a little telescope. Um, and, and it's fantastic. Yeah. There, there's something else happening this month, which I know is near and dear to your heart, and that is the anniversary of Pluto Demotion Day. How, how many years has it been? Seems like oh yesterday. Oh my gosh, I know. The, we just we think of the, the loss of Pluto as a planet as a, kind of a generational thing, and a lot of people are still mad about Pluto's lack of planethood status, but it was 17 years ago, Ira. No. Can you believe it? 17 no. years ago, Pluto was demoted. Or at least reclassified. Um, so it's not a widely celebrated holiday, but Pluto Demotion Day is uh, near and dear to my heart because uh, uh, I wrote a book about this uh, called How to Teach Grownups About Pluto uh, to Walk 
traumatized adults through the loss of a planet. It's a it's an illustrated guide to the history of Pluto and the future of Pluto too. So it's a lot of fun. I, I have a lot of fun with the Pluto demotion day because I think it's I think it's so great to debate this. Uh, yes. What is a planet? What's not yes. a planet? Everybody wins in that debate, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, are you going to be celebrating it in some way? Oh, I always celebrate Pluto yeah. Demotion Day. Uh, there, you know, I, I've been visiting around with other observatories, and I was up at the Yerkes Observatory in Wisconsin uh, talking about Pluto. And there's still people that are like, "Oh, Pluto's a planet," and all this stuff, and uh, others that are like, "Oh, yeah, we're over that." And and of course, at the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, that's where Pluto was discovered. And uh, they they get really into it. They have an I Heart Pluto festival every February when Pluto was discovered in 1930 there. And uh, so I have my uh, my uh, rival uh, anniversary of Pluto Demotion Day. So I'm, I'm I, I always like to play the villain when I go to uh, Lowell Observatory. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Well, speaking about traveling, you've been on Science Friday for so many years and listeners would know you as the astronomer for the Cincinnati Observatory, but you've recently moved on. Uh, tell us about that. You're, you're staying in the astronomy world, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I left my position as the astronomer at the Cincinnati Observatory and uh, kind of uh, wanted to branch out a little bit more. I, I wanted to uh, do astronomy out in the, the world. And I, I've been doing a lot of programs with the uh, the national parks, because the national parks have done some tremendous strides to improve their nighttime programming and getting people out there under a really dark sky. So I'm hoping to continue working with them. I'm going to be uh, going back out to the Grand Canyon. I was the, the astronomer in residence there doing a month long stint with the Grand Canyon. I'll be going back out in September. So I'm really looking forward to having a little more time to travel, uh, write more books and uh, get ready for two really awesome solar eclipses coming up. Uh, we were talking about that earlier, and I just can't wait for these eclipses. Remind us again when they're coming up. Yeah, so the first one is the one that's kind of under the radar, is the October 14th, 2023. So just a few months away, then we're going to have a partial solar eclipse where part of the sun will be blocked out. But certain parts of the United States will get to see uh, an annular eclipse. That means the moon will be too far away from the Earth and won't block the whole sun. It's a really cool event, but you still need to have all your equipment, your safety goggles and all that stuff. Uh, but then the big event, uh, the main one is the total solar eclipse going across the country uh, on April 8th, 2024. So everybody mark your calendars for these two really cool dates. And uh, uh, I think it's going to be the, the story of the year next year. Is it, is it going to be easy to see? Yeah, so the the annular eclipse in October is a little trickier, yeah, because you need to have those eclipse glasses. So I'm recommending everybody get all your equipment by that date because then you can have everything before it sells out, and and then you mm. can also practice it. with very minimal equipment. You can actually take pictures of solar eclipses uh, as well. Um, and then for the total one, this is going to be going across from uh, from Texas uh, up through the Midwest, up through New York, upstate. Uh, and even parts of Canada. So uh, it's something like half of the population of the United States is within a day's drive of totality. Uh, so it is going to be awesome to, to do. It's going to be like a big festival. And uh, so everybody, uh, you, you heard it from me, take off the day of work. You, I'll send you an astronomer note. I'll get you out of work April 8th next year. Well, Dean, I hope you will always be available to come on our show. We've, we've enjoyed you over the years and look only for bigger and better things from you. 
Oh, absolutely. I always love talking with you all and uh, everybody out there. Just keep looking up. Dean Regas, astronomer, author, and podcaster based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Before we go, we need to say goodbye to his self-described space cadet. Ozzy Osband was a fixture at rocket launches at Cape Canaveral, only a few miles from his home in Titusville, Florida, and he was an ambassador for the Space Coast. The region's area code, 321. Of course, yeah, that was his idea, as he told StoryCorps back in 2008. I went there and explained that Cape Canaveral, the countdown capital, should have area code 321. So I figure, I asked for it. They approved it. It must be my area code, but I share. Along with his love for space, he was also a longtime volunteer at WMFE, his local public radio station. Ozzy Osband was 72 years old.